what they did was the way they had routed the power cable, it got into the fan and wouldn't let the motor turn. So when you pull the power, it would So anyway, once I got to the Smith school, she went to work fine. But we had to take it all apart. We took the cylinder out of it, the cylinder, and build it all. Oh, Put it back together. See that right there? Ring compression. Oh. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so we're good to go there. Um, any other phrase for her? People sharing are very thankful for self and Russell. I'm going to be honest with you. I was impressed with the. Uh, with the presentation, but I was also impressed with a lot of things I never thought about. Um, and, uh, and he says every time they talk to people about race definitions, they always say, I never thought about that. Yeah, exactly. Here's yeah. um, I hadn't thought about it. Um, and, uh, a lot of food the thought there things to do and ways to look and so on. Uh, a very, very worthwhile mission. Um, if you think about it, Jerry, that Wendy's uncle, uh, he, he, he came here on health. And you, his sign language is American. Uh-huh. But you think about their handicap. See, we got a we got a niece. Right. We have a niece that that convert and she signed. But speaking in another language translate that would be double, double, triple. Yeah. 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 That's why he's trying to hand it over to Mexico. Mm-hmm. They don't have to interpret American. Wow. Um, any other phrase for her? I'm grateful my girlfriend her walk with the Lord. Okay. Okay. Any other? God's mercy and grace for me. Things don't go your way, you just seem like everything you touch is falling apart and God's still in control. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say it at the end of that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know, you think, like, only you made a thing. Yeah, I, I, I built a lot out, and I'm usually pretty good with tools and things like that, especially building things and uh, uh, and they come out with new gadgets and, and new fasteners and things that's awesome. And they work fine. However, they will carry your fingers up if you let them slip. And uh, and it don't just hurt for a little bit, it hurts for hours. You know, you when you match your finger with a hammer, you know, 15 minutes you're good to go. Man, you might when you get one of those paper screws in your finger and it spins around and cuts the sides of your fingers, it hurts for hours. Mm. And so uh, technology is great, you just gotta figure out how to use it. <laughs> uh the other phrase fair play. Good to have this game back. Yeah, yeah. Good to have this game back. Um and uh I 
Nehemiah's return to Persia, uh, 433, 424 BC. Um, let's see. Uh, Nehemiah 514 and 136 uh, kind of hits that a little bit. Uh, sacrifices were being uh, made at the second temple. Uh, which was finished in 516 BC. 516 and 6. Yep. And so, uh, and Ezra talks about that in 613, 14, and 15. And so many years had, had, uh, had elapsed uh, to govern. Uh, and it speaks of the time of Persian dominance in Judea uh, when Nehemiah. Uh, was uh, ran, uh was reserving reserving wax what it says uh, uh withholding of tithe and so uh he was getting on to him and so Malachi it's likely that Malachi was written during this period of, of Nehemiah's absence uh and he writes that he thinks about the, what he thinks about the condition of the churches uh, here God writes through Malachi to impress upon Israel his thought about the nation. And so, uh, go ahead. Here, I just want to add to what you're saying a little bit. You've covered a lot of what I saw. I mean, that's amazing what's there. About 430 B.C. is what I have for these six oracles. This, this book is essentially a closing of the Torah and the law and all the books of the Old Testament kind of verging on Haggai and Zechariah and actually a closure for those two books kind of it, it's uh, again if you want to stretch Malachi to a name of a person there's a few names that are similar to that but it's a real stretch this is my messenger, uh, the Lord, the Lord's messenger. And, and Malachi has uh, just a few dates backing up. And historically, I, I love Nehemiah. So um, King Cyrus, as you know, 533 B.C. has let the Jewish people go back. And the reason for that, Persia wanted their God as well as all of their little G gods to be entertained for the power of that country. And they did not want to hold the one true God back from blessing them. So that's why they let them go back. And in this whole process, then the second temple was rebuilt or rebeautified by Ezra. Ezra rebeautified it somewhere. And there's four Exiles. The first exile, somewhere around 538 BC. The second was uh, 520 to 515, when this, uh, well, 516, as you said, when this temple was rebuilt. The third was Ezra at 458 BC, and the fourth was Nehemiah at 444 and 445. Nehemiah, and this was something that I pursued did not rebuild a wall. Remember it said that a fox could knock it over? According to Tobiah, it wasn't a stout wall. 
it was to put his arms around the Messiah's seed here 430 years before Christ was born out of Judah. They did not want any contamination. It took everything Nehemiah had to throw Tobiah out of the temple to fight for the... Because Christ was coming from Judah. He did not want Judah destroyed. And 430 years were silent. You wouldn't believe it. In Exodus, now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was, and I'm reading Exodus was 430 years. At the end of 430 years to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. There's 700, or no, I'm sorry, 78 references to God being the one who got them out of Egypt. That it was His doing that got them freedom. And said 87 times he said that in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. And then, after claiming that he got them out of their 430 years later, probably, it was 50 jubilees from the time of, of Nehemiah to the time Jesus read Isaiah 61 in the synagogue, 50 jubilees, meaning 50 freedom. And and uh, I think it's 50, maybe I'm saying that wrong, 50, you take 400 and divide by 50, how much do you get? How many? 1850 is going Okay. There we go. Um, so, eight, and, and so, in this time, Jesus is coming from these silent years. Malachi is closing them quietly. I know there's some other books that come later, but they're in Apocrypha. You've heard of Tobit and so forth. I'll give you a little bit more. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, only 50,000 exiles have returned to Judea from Babylon in 538-536. Uh, the temple had been rebuilt under the leadership of Zerubbabel in 516 BC. And the uh, sacrificial system renewed. Ezra had returned to uh, in uh, 458. Uh, followed by Nehemiah in 445. Uh, after being back in the land of Palestine for only a, a century, uh, the ritual of the Jews' religious routine led that uh, hard-headedness toward God's great love for them. And it also widespread departure from His law by both people and priests. So Malachi rebuked and, and, and condemned them uh, uh, these abuses forcefully uh, indicting the people and calling them to repent. When Nehemiah returned from Persia the second time uh, in 424, he vigorously rebuked uh, them for their abuse of the temple and the priesthood and the violation of the Sabbath rest and for the unlawful divorce of their Jewish wives so that they could take on Gentile wives. 
uh, has over two millennia Old Testament history since Abraham uh, concluded none of the glorious promises of the Abrahamic, Davidic, or David, Davidic and New Covenant had been fulfilled in their ultimate sense. Although there had been some highlights and some high points in Israel's history, uh, you know, Joshua, David, Joash, uh, the Jews had seemingly lost all opportunity to receive God's favor uh, since less than a hundred years after returning from the captivity. They had already snuck, uh, sunk to the depth of sin uh, that exceeded the former iniquities which brought them to Assyria in the first place. Uh, and so, beyond uh, this, uh, the long-anticipated Messiah had not arrived and had not, uh, had not been seen or not seen to be in sight. And so Malachi wrote the capstone prophecy of the Old Testament in which he delivered God's message uh, of judgment on Israel for the continuing sin and God's promises that one day in the future when the Jews would repent, Messiah would be revealed and God's covenant promises would be fulfilled. Uh, and there were over 400 years of divine thought with only Malachi's words bringing condemnation in their ears before another prophet arrived with a message from God, uh, and that was John the Baptist preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 400 years from Malachi to John the Baptist. 400 years. You know, and so, you know, if you want to look at the outline of the book, uh, it's the denunciation of Israel's sin. Uh, it's a reminder of God's love for Israel. It's a rebuke of the priest. Uh, it's contempt for God's office. Contempt of God's glory. Contempt of God's law. Rebuke of the people. Uh, the declaration of Israel's judgment and blessing. Uh, coming of a messenger. Uh, the challenge to repent. The uh, criticism of Israel against the Lord. And the consolation of the faithful uh, remnant. And so he's telling the man not this is how it's going to be. And he's going to speak. And for 400 years, nothing. I mean, our country hadn't been here 400 years. And look at how 200 years, look where we're at. Sinking in the sea. You know, so uh, it's, it's not just something that is strictly uh, uh, within. I think every country goes through that. Um, and so there's there's a couple other books that will weave into right. this. Right. Esther is one. Right. Esther is is so um, uh, hidden, yeah. so to speak, or so mysterious in, in its timing. It was written somewhere between 460 and 350, about 110 years in there or so. Uh, that could have been written, but it was she was a contemporary of, of Nehemiah and, and Malachi. And Artaxerxes was the king during uh, the time of, of uh, this. Artaxerxes was when Nehemiah came back, and that was the fourth exile. Okay, Ezra also 
but there's artists that sees one, artists that sees two, and artists that sees three. And uh, the poignant thing about this is that Esther was married to the king. And this was thought to be Artaxerxes. Was she there when Nehemiah was talking to the king and the queen was there by his side? She's mentioned. And so it, it, he may be pointing to the queen very carefully because back then you couldn't do that. You couldn't, you know, honor the woman's side of, of the king and queen as much as we can today. But in that process, Esther is in this time frame and she and the Jews are fighting for their life. And that part of it's there. So the book goes on to Malachi hits three basic points. The distinctive love of Jehovah for his people. God is really talking turkey to them, so to speak. The Jews have failed here, but his love is the first part of this book. And then his holiness and his righteousness. So is this book a and if, I'm just gonna list them all. Is this book, question mark, uh, prophecy, law, narrative, poetry, wisdom literature, or apocalyptic literature? And the closest is prophecy, but Malachi is also relating it with law. And so it's it's the law of the prophecy, so to speak. It's woven together a little bit. It's, it's the author is enforcing the demands of the Deuteronomic, you know, Deuteronomy law under which the Israelite people have lived since their return from exile. They were very, very weak in following God at this point in time. Besides the law and prophecy, God shows His love here to Israel. He's going to fulfill and it's very clear he's going to fulfill that promise of the Messiah and of, of his, you know, Abrahamic covenant with his people. And the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant as well. There's several. Um, any questions about, about Malachi? About it? Jews or Gentiles. 
Timothy Epistle is filled with uh, references to Hebrew history and religion and does not address any particular Gentile or pagan practice. Uh, the traditional title has been maintained. And so uh, the author of Hebrews is unknown. Uh, Paul, Barnabas, Silas, Apollos, Luke, Philip, uh, Priscilla, Aquila, uh, and Clement of Rome have been suggested by different scholars. Uh, but the epistle's vocabulary style and various literary characteristics uh, do not clearly support any particular claim. Uh, it is significant that the writer includes himself among those people who had received uh, confirmation of Christ's message from others. Uh, so that would seem to rule out someone like Paul who claimed that he had received such confirmation directly from God and not from men. Uh, whoever the author uh, Old Testament references from the Greek Old Testament rather than from the Hebrew text, uh, even the early church expressed uh, various opinions on others that did the puzzle still has no solution. Therefore, it seems best to accept the epistle's anonymity. Uh, ultimately, of course, the author was the Holy Spirit. One, so, go ahead. One little thing on that is the J Vernon G is, is one who says that it had to be Paul. Yeah. <laughs> I think he, he goes down with that. Uh, but this is high high-level Greek here. This is the, the highest form of Greek I think that was written from what I remember. Uh, the use of the... Paul wasn't there quite. The use of the present tense and it lists a whole bunch of scriptures would suggest that the Levitical priesthood and the uh, sacrificial system was still in operation uh, when the epistle was composed. Since the temple was destroyed by uh, General later Emperor Titus uh, in A.D. 70, the epistle must have been written prior to the day. In addition, uh, it may be noted that Timothy had just been released from prison uh, and that the persecution was becoming severe. Uh, these details suggest that the date of the epistle, about A.D. 67 to 69. So, Prior to the, the Rome's destruction of the temple in in in, in Judea, all right. Background setting uh, emphasis uh, it emphasizes on the Levitical priesthood and, and on sacrifices, uh, as well as the absence of any reference to the Gentiles. So, uh, in support of the con the conclusion that the community of Hebrews was the recipient of the epistle. Uh, although these Hebrews were primarily converts to Christ. So it wasn't like he was writing to the, to the Jews in particular. Uh, there were probably a number of unbelievers in the midst uh, who were uh, attracted by the message of salvation, but who had not yet made full commitment to the faith of Christ. Uh, and that's one of the interpretive challenges. One thing uh, is clear uh, from the contents of the epistle, uh, the community of Hebrews was facing 
uh, possibility of uh, intensified persecution. They were coming. They just didn't realize it or they knew it was coming. And so that, that confronted the possibility the Hebrews were tempted to cast aside any identification with Christ. Uh, they may have considered uh, demoting Christ from God's Son to a mere angel, such as the uh, precedent uh, had already been set uh, in the Qumran uh, community of uh, Messianic Jews living there in the Dead Sea. Uh, they had dropped uh, they had dropped out of society, established a religious commune, and included the worship of angels in their band of, of reformed Judaism. Uh, the Qumran community had even gone so far as to claim that angel Michael was higher status, uh, was in higher status than the coming Messiah. Uh, these kinds of doctrinal uh, variations uh, could explain the emphasis in Hebrews chapter 1 on the superiority of Christ over angels. So that's where it was just, that's what they were trying to do, the reason for that being written. Uh, the possible location of the recipients of the epistle is Palestine. Okay. Egypt and get and Asia Minor. In Greece. I think that's it. <laughs> the Qumran that you mentioned, that, that was kind of established as a break. Back, back in the Maccabees area, 158 BC, the Pharisees were not in charge. I think the Sadducees. Anyway, flipped during the time of Jesus. But the Essenes had split away and it's thought that the Essenes, one of the four sects of the of the Jewish um, uh, leadership, had broke away and they had the leader of righteousness and he had written a lot of things. They had copied Isaiah. They had a lot of the Septuagint copies. They had the two almost identical to Isaiah today in Qumran, in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And those, those, everything was there except Esther. Every piece, anyway, a piece of every book of the Old Testament was there except Esther. And they wrote a lot of extra-biblical material. And so these guys were ascetic. They lived out, they dedicated their lives to God. They were the ones crying in the wilderness when John the Baptist was out there and making straight the highway of God. And so he, he probably bumped into them during that time. But these Essenes then were carrying a now somewhat perverted or, or changed uh, message. And so, yeah, Hebrews had to stand up against it. In fact, Gnosticism was going to rise another 50 years later from this period. It's going to explode onto the scene, which is another uh, thing that, that that this Hebrews is setting up to counter. And, and the key verse here is 1-3. The key verse is the verse where you might want to read that. This is the key verse. It goes, the sun is the radiance. The sun is capitalized. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, 
sustaining all things by his powerful word, after he had provided pure purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. I mean, he's letting nothing be confused here or get translated to anything else but there's one who's in charge. The, uh, the generation of the Hebrews receiving this epistle had practiced with Levitical sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem. Jews living in exile had substituted the synagogue for the temple, but still felt a deep attraction to Jerusalem uh, or, or attraction to the temple worship. Some had the means to make a regular pilgrimage to the temple in uh, uh, in Jerusalem, the writer of this epistle emphasized the superiority of Christianity over Judaism and the superiority of Christ uh, once and for all sacrifice over the repeated and imperfect Levitical sacrifices observed in the temple. Uh, so you get some historical and, and theological themes here. Uh, since the book of Hebrews is grounded in the work of the Levitical priesthood, an understanding of the book of Leviticus it is essential for properly interpreting Hebrews. Israel's sin had continually interrupted God's fellowship with his chosen and covenant people. Israel, therefore, had graciously and uh, sovereignly established a system of sacrifices and symbolically represented the inner repentance of sinners. Uh, and his divine forgiveness. However, uh, the need for sacrifices never ended because the people and the priests continued to sin. Uh, so the need for all mankind was for the perfect priest and the perfect sacrifice that would once and for all actually remove sin. And God's provision for the priest, the perfect priest and sacrifice is Christ in the central message of Hebrews. That's what this book is about. This is about what, you know, the, the Messiah being the perfect sacrifice, the perfect priest. Alright? And so, uh, it, it, it's a contrast between the imperfect and the incomplete provisions of the Old Covenant given under Moses and, uh, and, uh, and the infinitely better, infinitely better provision of the New Covenant uh, offered by perfect high priest, God's only son, and the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so, it was a better provision. It was a better system. It was perfect. It was what God had laid down. Uh, Hebrews is that, uh, that all believers now have direct access to God under the new covenant and therefore may approach the throne of God boldly. Uh, one's hope is the very presence in the very presence of God into which the follower uh, which, follow, which he follows the Savior, the primary teaching symbolized by the tabernacle service is that the believers under the covenant of law did not have direct access to the presence of God but were shut out of the holy of holy. The book of Hebrews may briefly be summarized in this way. Believers in Jesus Christ as God's perfect sacrifice for sin have the perfect high priest through whose ministry 
Everything is new and better than under the covenant law. Uh, this epistle is more than a doctrinal uh, test, however, it is intricately practical in its application to everyday living. Okay? The writer himself even refers to his letter as the word of exhortation. Uh, exhortation designed to stir or steer the reader into action or found throughout the text. Those exhortations are given in the following six warnings. Warning against drifting from the things we have urged. That's in Hebrews 2. Warning against disbelieving the voice of God, Hebrews 3. Warning against uh, degenerating from the elementary principles of Christ. That's 5 and 6. Warning against uh, dispensing or despising the knowledge of the truth, Hebrews 10. Warning against uh, the devaluing of the grace of God, Hebrews 12. Warning against departing from Him who speaks. That's also in Hebrews 12. Another significant aspect of this epistle uh, is the clear exposition of the selected Old Testament passage. The writer was very skilled uh, expository in the Word of God. His example uh, is instructive for preachers and teachers. Alright. And so, uh, in, in Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, 4, uh, exposition of the verses on Psalm 2 and Samuel 7 and Deuteronomy 32. Well, he's explaining it, huh? No, I, I love Deuteronomy 32. Okay. Alright. Uh, Hebrews 2, verses 5 through 18 is the exposition of uh, uh, Psalm 8, 4 to 6. Wow. Alright. Uh, Hebrews 3, verses 1 through 4, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through chapter 4, verse 13 is the exposition of Psalm 95, 7 and 11. <laughs> I got more, man. I got more. Let me jump in here. Go ahead. And then we'll fit, we need to come back and finish that. This, this is, yeah, along with that, uh, the writer is breaking the paradigms. Mm-hmm. And I'll read them, the paradigms. And, and you just mentioned that he is going back into the Old Testament. He has to break the Old Testament, the traditions and the paradigms. And he's saying Christ is greater than angels. You already mentioned that. Christ is greater than Moses. And he's breaking these paradigms one at a time. Christ is greater than the Old Testament priesthood. The New Covenant is greater than the Old Covenant. And then, I imagine we're going to get into it, the last piece of this is how do you get in contact with God? They weren't allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. And, and, and they, that, that's the reason that the veil was ripped. Right. And so... It's going to, it's just going to explode with the proposition here of faith. Yeah. This will be new to them. Faith. faith. To believe by faith and not, and, and go straight to God. And so he, he's break, he, he's going to be like, led by the Holy Spirit to just totally break down all these old things. We're getting things better. Yeah, okay, go ahead. All right. Uh, 
Hebrews 4, 14 through 7, 28, the exposition of Psalm 110, 4. All right? Uh, chapter 8, verses 1 uh, through chapter 10, verse 18, uh, is the exposition of Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. Uh, Hebrews 10, 32 to 12, 3 is the exposition of
We'll be right at home with this. Yep. Oh, yeah. And then we got one more. We got, of course, we're going to run short on that, but we got one more little book we're going to look at to teach you with. Any questions? Any questions about Hebrew? We'll hit the high spot for this, the book of Acts. It says, The Acts of the Apostles. And so, this is the only book in the Bible where there's no ending. There's no ending in the book of Acts because it's happening now. Where are we? In the process, still being written. Yes, right. That's exactly right. And so, uh, you know, it's the second book, Luke addressed uh, to the author. And so, the Acts may originally have been the title, the Greek manuscript title, Acts. Uh, it may add of the apostles, but the Greek word translated Acts uh, was often used to describe achievement of great men. How fitting. The achievement of great men. You know, so Luke, since Luke's gospel was the first book uh, addressed to Theophilus, Luke 1 3, uh, the logical conclusion is that Luke is also the author of the book of Acts. Although he is not named in either book, uh, the writings of the church father, such as uh, Clement and Alexander, Clement of Alexandria from others uh, support this. Uh, Luke's authorship, and so does uh, the end of the canon. So that supports this. All right. So uh, background setting, you know, Luke makes it clear in the prologue to the gospel that he wrote the to give Theophilus and others uh, to read the work uh, narrative of the things that were happening. Uh, so. You know, which Jesus had accomplished during his earthly ministry. Uh, according to Luke, uh, according to Luke, wrote in his gospel an orderly account. And so Acts is just a, an extension of the book of Luke. It's an orderly account of what's happened since the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And so in the prelogue, you know, you witness uh, the witnesses to Jerusalem, uh, the anticipation. Uh, of the church, the founding of the church, the growth of the church, uh, apostles preaching, healing, and enduring persecution, deacons praying, teaching, and enduring persecution, uh, the witness uh, to Judea and Samaria, uh, the gospel to the Samaritans, uh, the conversation of a Gentile, conversion of a Gentile, the conversion of Saul, uh, the gospel to Judea, the gospel to the Gentiles, uh, the persecution by Herod, uh, the witness to the ends of the earth, the witnesses to the ends of the earth, uh, Paul's first missionary journey, uh, the Jerusalem Council, Paul's second missionary journey, Paul's third missionary journey, Paul's uh, Jerusalem and Caesarean trial, and Paul's journey to Rome. So that's what Acts is covered. You know, it's a historical, uh, it, it is just a, an orderly account. Go ahead. Yeah, this is historical, you know. According to human thinking, this should not have happened. This should not have occurred. This is not able. And the Jews had won. They had their way. Rome had won, and they had their way. That The guy, the very guy who was 
presenting the kingdom of God to all humanity. The very guy who it was said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, and forgive them from the cross. This should not have happened. And what happens here, what happens here, we sometimes take a step aside, is the Holy Spirit was launched. The Holy Spirit was taking no prisoners, only those who were prisoners for Christ. And the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, like a match, lit a fire. And it took off. Every, everything happened from this explosive growth. Probably more explosive than we, we have seen in our time. But, but it should not have happened according to mankind. Man's thinking. And what happened? People, right and left, were, were struck by conviction. And both Jews and Gentiles came from all over the country. And some of the things you named, Samaria, there was there was uh, places in Acts that is Macedonia, Jerusalem, uh, Acadia, yeah. Ephesus, we heard of that one? <laughs> um, Caesarea, Rome, Cyprus, and Galatia, Syria, and of course Samaria and Judea was there. But all of this exploded outward. These people had come back to visit Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit was there. And, and what's amazing, you know, if, if you had a study Bible and you look at the beginning of the of the book, and it'll, it'll tell you, you know, the title, and it'll give you the author and the date that it was written, the background section, the historical and theological things. And then you get down. The last thing they usually put is the interpretive calendar. And if you look, most books have two or three paragraphs of interpretive calendar. The book of Acts has one paragraph. One paragraph of interpretive calendar. And, and here it is. It says, because Acts is primarily a historical narrative and not a theological uh, testing like Romans or Hebrews, uh, it contains relatively few interpretive calendars. Those that exist mainly uh, concern the book's uh, traditional nature, uh, see uh, historical and theological things, that an involvement of the role of signs and wonder. People got problems with signs and wonder. Those issues are addressed in notes to the relevant passage. Uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 47, chapter 15, 1 through 29. Look, what we know about signs and wonders, they're up to God and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know, that's like gifts, spiritual gifts. They're up to God and the Holy Spirit to see if He's he fit for the advancement of the kingdom. I'm sure there were a lot of signs and wonders. It tells you in here they were running around. You know, the apostles were running around. They were healing people. They were raising people from the dead. You know, uh, they were casting out demons. They were being whooped to death and walking, standing up, walking off. I mean, they were left for dead and stood up and walked off. That's not signs and wonders. And the doors of the, the prison, the doors were earthquakes in a certain spot, the doors of the prison open, they walk out. 
you know, nobody else wakes up and they're gone. I mean, you know, it, it, there's a lot of supernatural, God-working stuff. The Jehovah becomes a believer. Yeah, yeah the Jehovah becomes a believer. Think about this. There's an earthquake. All the kings are broke. All the prisoners are sitting there, and they're still sitting there rather than running off because Jehovah was responsible. Had any one of them left, he would have died. Why did you not leave? For a ground for for exactly right. Exactly right. You know, and so those are the things, you know, they acted contrary to human nature. Think about it. You're sitting in prison. Especially in first century, you know, in the first century you know, after eighty, you're sitting in a prison and usually a dungeon, damp, nasty, cold. If somebody, if you don't have friends, they ain't bringing you food. The only water you're going to get is going to be nasty. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, there's an earthquake and your canes are broke. Are you going to sit there? Probably not. You're probably going to break and run. And run as fast and as far as you can. But they sat there. They came while they were canes. You know, so I, yes, there seems to be some smart people that think they got some interpretive calendars here. I don't think so myself. I think it's just God being God. And if we don't like it, don't understand it. Too bad. You have a finite mind and I am infinite. That would be what you say. That's Jerry's interpretation. Don't take that to the bank because it ain't in here. <laughs> I'm just telling you, you know, uh, you don't think he ain't got a sense of humor? Tell him your plan. <coughs> Tell him your plan. His plan is with the little and yeah, little people that yeah that, that were in, in like um, and so we got about two thirty-seven. It says and they were cut to the heart yeah. and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And they ask you that out there. What what am I supposed to do? That only gospel mess. So what do y'all want to study? Well, huh? um, Pastor, um, I, of course, I've just finished the book of Romans with Dr. McGee. Okay. But I probably am outnumbered, but um, it's been a profound um, eye-opener for me because um, it's a, um, according to Dr. McGee, he says, um, it is the, um, it's the most important book to ground us in our faith.
Any other? Anybody got anything? All right. I'm good. <laughs> make, somebody make it. Uh, Miss Frank, I mean, uh, Miss Frank was the only one that got enough to pick a book. <laughs> I, must. Well, I say go with her book. That's okay. That would be fine. I'd love second Corinthians, but. Okay. Like Thank you, Chris. Cool. Ah. So Romans it is. Any any other thoughts? Chapter? No. Favorite one? Okay, you got anything? Don't lose the word. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's do Romans. Oh, Romans it is.